Well, we, uh, we're in Acts, Acts chapter 2, and we talked about uh, the message that Peter is giving, or has given in, in, our, in our study, uh, last week especially. And there's a guy by the name of Charles Simeon, I think from uh, last century. He said there are three aims in preaching. And one of them is what we just sang about, exalt the Savior. So that's, that's the first aim. That's the most important aim, isn't it? Exalt the Savior. Let's check ourselves here. Are we doing these right? Number two, it's to humble the sinner. If you exalt the Savior, then it should humble mankind, right? We should always be humble. Keep humbling. And then uh, thirdly, to promote holiness. Uh, realize the holiness of God and then desire holiness uh, to be like God. So I think those are three really good points as we uh, stress preaching. And you definitely see that here in Acts chapter 2 with Peter's message. He exalted the Savior and he definitely humbled the sinner as we'll look at uh, today. And he certainly promotes holiness in this because of who Christ is. So um, we're dealing with wrapping up Peter's sermon and what happens in response to uh, the sermon that, that Peter had. And really what it should do is remind us of the principles of what evangelism is, because this is an evangelistic message. I mean, it, it's here for our own witnessing. It's here for our evangelism, for our own preaching. And, um, of course, as we look at it, it's not just something historical, but it's something that uh, is uh, the very model, the way that we are to present the gospel. So, as we, we think about a little bit of review here, it's the Spirit of God alone who's working in all this. He baptized those 120, and uh, then there was a sound like a mighty wind that came in. And, uh, of course, um, people were able to hear. They were able to see what was happening as people were able to hear in their own native languages. People were astounded. People were amazed, astonished. That got the crowd there, and they were ready. So the Holy Spirit got people ready to listen and got all those thousands of people together. And uh, what a miracle that was right there, just to be able to speak the Word, because if you don't have anybody around there, how are you going to be able to preach the Gospel? So that's what uh, that's what happens there. Um, and the, the, the attention then was now upon Peter, as somebody uh, was making the statement, well, these guys must be drunk or something, and he takes off on that with the, with the introduction. And so the Spirit of God has, has brought all this together. Spirit of God has gathered the crowd, and there definitely has been a miracle there. It's either God or, or it's Satan. And they're all exalting God. So how can be Satan, right, if they are giving praise to God in this sense? And so Peter stands up, starts explaining, and uh, definitely the ears were prepared, the hearts were prepared for them to hear this gospel. And Peter explains Pentecost. He exalts Jesus in this situation. He exhorts the people. And uh, he actually um, will make such a, a powerful delivery by the Spirit of God again. And people will have to examine their hearts. And uh, that's where we're at. That's that's what was so good about this. Uh, it made people not only know what was happening, but to do something or want to do something, which they couldn't. <laughs> it was going to take God's Spirit again to do that. So um, um, the theme of this whole sermon, of course, is 
the Messiah. This is of the age of the Messiah. Uh, life of Christ is here. The death of Christ is here. The uh, resurrection of Christ is here. And then the ascension of Christ is here. We went over all that. So, eyewitnesses are all there. The gospel is being preached. And now the crowd says, What shall we do? Right? In uh, chapter 2, verse 36, kind of where we left off last week. And um, it's like, okay, He ascended, and it it shows that He is Lord. He is Yahweh. Matter of fact, the the Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh, All my uh, younger days always heard that you have Jesus as Savior and then later on you can walk down the aisle after you've gone to a camp experience and you can have Him as Lord of your life too. And so I, I saw these rededications and that just didn't seem right to me at that time, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I'm going, this is really strange. Some of those kids I knew, you know, and they'd been to camp, and now they were going to make Jesus Lord because they had they'd been baptized like maybe four or five years ago, but He really wasn't Lord of their lives at that time. It was okay. He was Savior. And I remember A.W. Tozer really hit it on the head when he said that uh, you can't divide Christ up. He can't be uh, Savior and then Lord later. He can't. He has to be both. And you'll see that we don't make Him Lord. <laughs> we don't make Him Savior. What does it say here? God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And you'll notice Peter talks about the Lordship of Christ right there. That That's full right there with great doctrine. This Jesus whom... You crucified. Now he's putting it on them. And he's already said that before. But at the end of that message, and I don't know if it's necessarily the end of the message because there are many other words that he spoke, but this is where it hit right at the heart. And it made an impact on the, pro- uh, the people because he's proven that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, he's proven that. He's used the Scripture. He's explained Pentecost. He's exalted Jesus, hasn't he? Now he's indicted all of these ones who were the executioners. And some of these people were probably the ones that were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And uh, he goes right to the core of the problem. And their sin is that they reject Christ. Of course, that's the sin of everyone who doesn't know Christ, right? They, They reject him. Uh, that's the cardinal sin. <laughs> that is the cardinal sin, the sin of all sins. But um, the Spirit convicts. In John sixteen eight and 9, it says, When the Spirit of truth has come, He will convict the world of sin. What's next? Righteousness. Righteousness. And what's next? Judgment. That says it all. Holy Spirit convicts one of sin. Right? He comes in, penetrates our heart. We realize that we're sinners. He's a holy God. And then we know righteousness is dealing with, if we see our sin, we see the righteousness of God or the holiness of God, right? And that's where righteousness 
uh, is. It's uh, it's always outside of ourselves. It's not in in ourselves. And of course, that there is judgment coming, and that if one doesn't have the righteousness of Christ, they will be judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, the righteousness of God, and that there is a true judgment, and that there is uh, a hell. So that's what every man has to finally come to, to believe that, that uh, that he's true. People rebel against God. That's natural. Uh, and these people had executed their own Savior. C.H. Spurgeon said, It is idle to attempt to heal those who are not wounded. To attempt to clothes, clothe those who have never been stripped. He says it's idle. It's like trying to make somebody feel good. We have to go in and do what a surgeon does. And it is going to bring pain. But if that isn't brought out, then it's just covered up. Nothing is really ever taken care of. So the, the sin has to be gotten to, doesn't it? And uh, so so it can be cleansed. So there can be a healing. So, anyway, that's what happens. And uh, what does verse 37 say? Now, when they heard this, they were what? Pierced to the heart. Pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And I think what we have here is they got the message. Um... He just doesn't wrap it up in verse 36 and he says, okay, that's it. Thank you guys for coming out. This has been a great time. Glad you could uh, hear what's going on. If you have any questions, call the office. (laughs) Uh, When they heard this, this powerful sermon, of course the Holy Spirit is directing all this, they were pierced or pricked in the heart. What shall we do? To, the word pierced there means to penetrate with a needle. It means to take a sharp instrument and cut through. And, and it means suddenness. And that's what happened. It's like this knife just ripped into them and pierced them. That's pretty um, direct, isn't it? It hit right at the heart. What, what do you think of in Hebrews chapter 4? The Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's powerful. Hebrews 4.12 Does the Word of God do this? Oh, it certainly does. Thank the Lord it does. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Boy, does that does that ever hit, right? Word of God comes in and pierces. Every one of us as Christians have experienced that. We experienced it at salvation and we experience it in our Christian walks. Right. What shall we do? What shall we do? Boy, it's like a a dagger has been jammed into somebody. 
It's a piercing, sudden grief. They're desperate. I mean, it really hit on them. We killed him. We are responsible, is what they're thinking. And they came along, executed Christ, and now the knife comes in on them on this day of Pentecost, just cut to the heart. And grief comes out as a result of it. This is not something that um, they just say, automatically saying it, that they are really cut. What was it that you think that got to them? What what is it that uh, would make them respond like this? Very heart of the gospel, and who's at the heart of the gospel? And what did they do with Jesus? They crucified him. They killed him. They saw the Messiah had come. They realized this is the one they've always been looking for. He showed up. They kill him. We meant to kill him. And now they're meaning, oh my, what have we done? Absolutely. He's doing all this, isn't he? They they would not have opened their eyes had he not opened those up. They would not have felt this way. That's a blessing. If we, if that never happens, if he never opens us up, that's horrible, isn't it? So it is a good thing that that this happened to get the the next. I, I think is what they're thinking too is the wrath of God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment wrath um, his his enemies he talked about in verse 34 a quote out of the Psalm 110 until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet the enemies a, a footstool um, it's not like they just lost the Messiah they just realized they killed the Messiah can you think of a worse sin in all the universe than that kind of uh, sin? I mean, it's absolute rejection, isn't it? Killed the very one that gave you hope. Your yeah. hope was always based upon all, your, all their life. They had waited for the Messiah to yeah. come and then find out they actually killed him. And we know that we did too. You know, and it, it really should get us. Can you imagine, though, like it wasn't but weeks ago and you were shouting, crucify him. Maybe you were part of that crowd doing that. And all of a sudden, you realize the real truth. You have to be scared to death. Seriously. The wrath of God. They believe in the wrath of God. I'm sure they believe in hell. You know, being Jewish, you know, they knew those kind of things. They had to be scared. What a terrible sin. They just realized that what they had done, and of course God had opened all this up. And another thing is they can't change what's just been done. They can't change it. Although Christ came back alive, resurrected, they can't do what they would like to do. They'd like to reverse it. But they know they can't do it. They can't do a thing about it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, you know you're lost in your sins. And that's what you talked about long ago. That's what the Lord does. He opens the up and we realize we're lost in our sins. We have no way, nothing, no way to return it back or change it. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
Of course, that's a that's a good thing. But they're so desperate, they have nowhere to go. Lord, where else can we go? You have the what? What do we do? They're desperate. Nothing to turn to. And here's all grace. It's all grace. What do I do? You can't do anything. <laughs> you can't do anything. Um, you have to think of what happened to Paul in Acts 9. He's on his horse. He's struck down as he was traveling. It happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Well, there is a doing. There's an obedience. But the doing is not going to do anything in and of itself coming, coming from us. We do respond, but it's going to have to be charged up by God Himself. Look in chapter 16. This is a real familiar one. You have the uh, jailer. And Paul and Silas, they're in jail. Of course, then you have the earthquake. Isn't that what happened? The great earthquake in verse 26. Foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why would he do that? Why would he want to kill himself? Exactly. By the way, that's a very good evidence for the resurrection of Christ because there were a bunch of Roman soldiers around there and they are responsible for what they're supposed to guard. And so, anyway, uh, yeah, he would lose his own life so he's ready to take his own life. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. They hadn't even escaped. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you do. So it reminds me of Zechariah chapter 12. Very familiar passage. Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 is talking about a time when um, near the end time. And of course, Jerusalem will be attacked. Israel attacked. God uh, is going to battle all the foes of Israel. In chapter 12, just a little bit before that time, in verse 10, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. 
and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And of course, to show that it's it's talking, it's kind of in a future tense. In a sense, this happening this is happening right now to them as we read the text uh, in Acts. But it's it's a future sense. In that day, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadramon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land will mourn, every family by itself. And, of course, it's talking about the tribes and mentions David there. And as you go on through 14, you'll see the setting and the time when that is. But even at this, this is exactly what happened to them. They they don't really see Christ, but they see who He is. And there's an outpouring of God's Spirit on them, isn't it? And uh, that is uh, seen in Revelation chapter 1. And uh, so, I think their guilt is fully exposed. They realize that they are to cry out to Him. Uh, they can't do anything other than what He tells them to do. And that's to believe, to repent. And that, of course, that's kind of next in line, isn't it? Do you think they felt a deep sense of evil? A deep sense of guilt? How about a desire to be saved from the judgment, the wrath to come? Had to feel this. I think they're fully exposed. So that's why preaching has to be preached with conviction, and that it would come at the hearts of people, so that there would be always a change, even for Christians. That we we always have to be changed. We haven't arrived yet, have we? We haven't gotten it all together. It's going to take a lifetime. There must be conviction, and um, man needs to be convicted of sin. We have such a battle with sin, and really explain, you know, what what, what sin is and what it does to us. It tries to de- destroy us, doesn't it? We we'll always battle with it. Anyway, what shall we do? That's that's the feeling that they have. I mean, they're taking this very seriously. They feel the uh, remorse, the guilt. Peter applies the message said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a verse. What a thing to say. Repent. (laughs) You know, you say that today and people almost make fun of you because it sounds so old-fashioned. Sin, repentance, that's at the heart of the Gospel message. Repentance is so good. He's saying, I don't want you just to be sorry that you did this to Jesus. I want you to be so sorry that you would turn around. Metanoia means to to change direction, to uh, have a total change, uh, you know, all the way around. Um, I think we probably, in our time, and the body of Christ probably preaches too little of repentance. What did John the Baptist say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does Peter say when they say, what shall we do? Repent. And that is at the heart. And I think that's probably why we have so many tares among the wheat today. 
they haven't heard about the message of repentance. They've heard about tacking on Jesus to your life and have Him a Savior, but really where He is to be Lord of your life and to be uh, changing us. That's another thing. So, let's look. Let's just scroll through Acts just a little bit and let's see how this holds true. What should be at our message? Well, in 3.19, a lame man has been healed. There's preaching in Solomon's portico. you got Peter and John. And in verse 19, here's what he says. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Forgiven. In order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So, what does he say? Repent. How about chapter 8, verse 22? Chapter 8, that's where uh, the gospel now goes to Samaria. Gives a message. This is where you have Simon the sorcerer and such. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So, repent. How about chapter 11, verse 18? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. It's not that we can work up repentance on our own. It's all God, isn't it? Even repentance is granted or given. And this was to the Gentiles. It says, just like us, God gave us repentance. He's now giving Gentiles this gift of repentance that leads to life. It always starts with repentance. Incredible. Chapter 17, verse 30. Over and over we see the same thing. So if somebody's saying, what what do I do to be saved? How do I get to heaven? I think one of the first things we want to preach is repent. <laughs> That's really what the law does. If they're not, in, you know, repent of what? Well, here's what the law shows, what you have done against the Holy God, right? Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Guess what the heart of the gospel is? You know, you can have evangelism 101 classes all over the place. And if they don't teach repentance, that evangelism class is absolutely worthless. Because this is really what it is about. You see it over and over and over again. Chapter 26, 20. You learn a lot about what happened in the early church and really how that pattern, for the most part, really is, as far as the preaching and such, has to be continued. What is it? 2620? Agrippa, uh, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those at Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the regions of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should what? Repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. That sounds like a works-based salvation. We know better than that. We know that repentance is granted to us. But as a result of that, what do we do? Then our life is going to show up. 
The things that we do then is going to show the fruit that we really have repented. I know over in Russia, I think um, certain places, rather than being called like believers and such, they were called repenters. <laughs> Pretty good, isn't it? Repenters. Hey, yes. Uh, I've got a footnote, a little description of a summary repent, repentance summary in my notes here in the Bible and it refers to uh, back to Jesus teaching Matthew 21 chapter 21 verses 28 through 31 21 uh, 28 through 31 but it's yeah chapter 21 21 28 through 31 mm-hmm. uh kind of pretty plain, straightforward words that he gives there. That's the uh, the parable, isn't it? Yeah. The two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. Mm-hmm. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. <laughs> which, of the two, which of the two did the will of his father? That's a, you know, kind of a practical uh, uh, illustration there uh, given here as, as repentance. Yes, it is. Yeah, that word... Uh, Very practical. In verse 29, it says, I will not, but afterward... What was your word there? Afterward, he changed he his changed mind. He changed his mind. That is really the word metanoia. for repent. That's metanoia. Because meta means to change. And noia is mind. It's not just to have an intellectual change, but it also means to have a whole heart change, attitude change, everything. Yeah. Like you realize, well, now I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. I like that uh, that version of that because that's probably the the mind says regretted it. He regretted it. I think that falls a little short on that one. Changed his mind. He repented of that. He changed. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Exactly. That's the whole point, isn't it? It's not about what... You know, we can always compare ourselves to somebody and be better than others. <laughs> but not God. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that's a good... Uh, living explanation of it. Jesus there was showing repentance. The guy had a wrong answer and everything, but uh, later he felt really remorseful over it. He felt bad about it, and, and then he did something about it. Yeah. You know, he did do what he should have done anyway. <laughs> yeah, he, he did it, didn't he? Yeah, he walked it, did it. Didn't look good at first, but at least, you know, it did hit him. Now, you know, um, this is a problematic verse and when you read it at first it almost sounds like 
a work. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's like if you go get baptized with water, then you'll be okay. Now, uh, and there are denominations that take this and build everything around it. Church of Christ. This would be a verse that they would use highly because, of course, they definitely believe in baptism, but theirs is a baptismal regeneration. When you're baptized in that water, now you are a Christian. Of course, you can lose it, too. See, A very Arminian view. Matter of fact, they believe that Really, when it really gets down to it, they really have the only understanding of this correct. They are the ones that are right. It's almost cultic. But so they say that if you're baptized, if you're not baptized in water, you probably are going to go to hell. So, what do we do with this? Well, you either renounce Christ or you do some kind of sin. Uh, you don't confess your sin. It could be something that, that you lose your salvation in. Okay. Peter doesn't believe in secret disciples. And Peter really wants to show that it takes somebody really serious here so he takes a formality like baptism, and it's graphic, isn't it? It what a symbol that it is to show how one has has changed, and and especially at this time, believing in baptism was the very same thing. They were so connected that you couldn't separate them, and and what the deal is is that it's announcing that you're cutting yourself off from Judaism. Because in all over Jerusalem and around about, they had these mikbayots, and they were little baptisms uh, places. Really, that's what they were. They were uh, places to have washings. And if you have thousands of people coming in for the Passover and other places, there they would be little like pools of water here and there, and people would get cleansed as they would approach the temple. They were already built. Have you ever wondered how can you get 3,000 people baptized in one day? Well, they were all over the place. All over this, around before you get to the steps of the temple and out outside the city, into the city and, and such. And uh, it's kind of interesting as, as you think about that. I learned that from Zola Levitt years ago as I used to watch him. And, and they they would show these mikvahs. I go, isn't that cool? Now I know what, how they did that. Yeah. So those sort of things, but they're like bathhouses. Right. Really they're rituals, wasn't it? Maybe in the <clears throat> denominations where they have the holy water sitting there as sort of a maybe like a picture of that of you know, I'm gonna sanctify myself on the way in. Right. Right. For, uh, right. We still kinda of carry that today in different places. <clears throat> Pretty significant. If you're being baptized, and now this is not just a washing, but as people are baptizing other people, they're saying in the name of Jesus, identifying with Him. This is tying their whole lives with the Messiah in front of all of these Jewish people. That's really all you have right now, right? And this is the first message given. And this would be a display. 
despicable thing to the Jews, it would be cutting you off from your family. It could be cutting you off from your neighbors, your friends. The worst thing that could happen would be to be desynagogued. That means kicked out of the synagogue. When you became a Christian, guess what? You weren't. You were dead to the family. You were dead to um, the synagogue. They were counted as dead. Even today, we know that that happens in, in a lot of situations. And what what he's doing, Peter here is saying, I want you to make a public act of severing your ties with Judaism and being identified with Christ. That's a cost. So, it's it's a symbol of union with Christ. And it still is today. But you can see what he's saying there. Because, and Jesus had already said that in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, baptize, teaching them to observe baptizing, right? That is a costly thing, but it's something that has to be done because now it's showing that, hey, this is what happened to me and I don't care what anybody thinks, even if it means I am out of the family. I am calling him my Christ and my Lord. And you'll remember that there was a rich young ruler and Jesus hit him right at the point where he needed to be hit at. It was his money. Go and sell everything you have. Give your money to the poor. Well, giving money to the poor, will that save you? No. That's what works, right? But what it does do, it's saying, I am taking down the barrier. And Jesus identified, and he knew supernaturally what this rich young ruler's problem was. He could see into his heart. And so he said, give all that up and then come and follow me. Follow me after that, right? It's, so it's not uh, a matter of works, but it's saying any kind of barrier that's there has to be destroyed. I told my mom I was going to be baptized become a, because I'm a believer in Christ. You've already been baptized into the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I said, it's not to be baptized into a church, it's being baptized because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. It's the same thing was it doesn't say I was cutting ties to that denomination. There was a cost as far as the family is concerned. I imagine Carmela could probably identify with that too because that happened, didn't it, to you? It's like you're different now and they can't identify that. Yeah, we might have you over for dinner, but... Uh, yeah. 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 Treated differently. Yeah. To be baptized, and he said to fulfill all righteousness. Mm. You know, if he had never done that, you know, I I don't know that. You know, John was baptizing before Jesus did that, but but I I can't see where that would have the same significance if Christ didn't set that, you know, uh, pattern in that. You know. It's like, you know, he did that before his ministry started, you know, right after that, yeah. you know, when the Holy Spirit drove him right. in the wilderness. So that's kind of our, the pattern, you know, we we be, we be uh, saved and then we be baptized and now as a new creation, creation you know, he sets us on our way because we've come, we've come, you know, we're in Christ, we've come through that water and now he's, 
takes us, you know, where, right. where we go from there. But without him doing that, you know, I see. I've always been uh, sort of puzzled over Jesus wanting to be baptized, but you know, when when we come back to these these sorts of things, it really starts to have more. Uh, it kind of explains itself a little more. You know, that he would he would say that that that's to fulfill all righteousness. You know, to identify with man because right. he's a man. To set the pattern and whatever else that might mean, but <laughs> it's it was important. Yeah, the disciples who had witnessed that, and then of course Peter later on. You know, it, what's it, this baptism? But that John the Baptist doing all that, having it set up, and then Jesus being yeah. a part of that and doing it, him being God. These were yet, all new things, I guess, for you know, for this new uh, thing that was going to be happening with, with God's yeah. plan. That's a big key point. I, I think that's very important. It sure is. So, but uh, Christ set the pattern. Yeah, and you know, so uh, I don't know. To me, it gives more substance to the idea that we do follow the pattern as you know, believers. That once we make a profession, there's also that witness, <coughs> that uh, exhibit. I guess you'd say that that you know visible following of Christ in baptism. Absolutely. That is the heart of uh, the baptism there. Um, And it definitely can be a a cost to it. I mean, when when people hear that, they know who you are. You know, you're making this public now. Because what if we were just secret disciples? Nobody ever really knew. Didn't meet with the church or anything. But if somebody said, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. And you get those all the time. People who say they believe in Jesus. They've never gone to church or they've gone a couple of times. Never been baptized. They don't read the Bible or anything. But they're Christians. You know. Yeah, just secret. Yeah, They don't want to tell anybody about it. Uh, I think there's something to the public confession of... Uh, our union with Christ. It is important. That's what Peter is asking or telling them. That's what must happen. Water doesn't make one saved, but it um, it makes the commitment total. It's it's like it's sealing the deal here and, and, and it's showing that they really are true of this. And the way that this structure is set up, I think it's, it's really interesting. He, he says... Let if you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. If you be baptized, you get forgiveness of sins, right? That's what it sounds like. It sounds like baptism comes before forgiveness. And that's not the case. We're forgiven. We are baptized after that. Sometimes immediately. Sometimes it can be hours, days, later, whatever. But uh, it's almost like you've got to be baptized in order to be forgiven. And that's not it. If that's the case, then the rest of the Bible is wrong. Ephesians 2.8 is wrong, you know, for by grace you're saved, right? We have to stay consistent. Uh, There can't be contradiction. He says, for the remission of sins or the taking away of sins, being forgiven. Uh, The ritualist, the people who like this ritual of baptism, um, is... In order that you be baptized, in order that you be forgiven, in order that you be saved, 
And that's a Church of Christ belief right there. Okay, I'm not jumping on them. I'm just saying that's what they say, which that's contradictory to the rest of Scripture. But that's what they their whole denomination is weighing upon. Um, I will tell you this, in, in the text, the way that it's set up, and also in another place, in Matthew 12, 41, um, I might look at that. And we don't have to really hit it too hard because we know the rest of Scriptures definitely say something different. Um, the, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at that judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You have the preaching. You have the repentance. And they will behold something greater than Jonah is here. Um, because of... the word, If you put the word because of, and the Greek text here really makes this set up this way, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Hey, I do this for that's the way I've been. A lot of times we'll say for instead of because. The because of is better said in the English. Uh, we have translations. The word in the Greek is ice. And of course you have to take it with the text. But this would then correlate with all the rest of Scripture. So you'd be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because... You are forgiven of your sins, or you are believers. You are now, uh, you know, one of Christ. You be baptized because of that. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? And that's the case that we're talking about. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of sins. In other words, you repent, and then you're baptized because your sins have been forgiven. Now, does that make sense? And that's really what is set up there. It's a public sign of what has gone on in the inside. We've changed on the inside. Baptism is only visual. And, uh, of course, we're forgiven. Then he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As soon as you become a believer, when do you get the gift? Much later? Or as soon as you get baptized, do you get the gift? <laughs> That's another thing they believe. Well, no. You, you be, as soon as you become a believer, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You have that gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what the Jews have been waiting for. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What did Joel say? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Messianic days. Um, so it's connected to uh, repentance. Repent to show that forgiveness has been accomplished. Be baptized. Receiving of the Spirit comes as a result. <laughs> the Spirit of God doesn't come as a result of water baptism, but of repentance. Baptism should follow, and should follow very, uh, very quickly. Really, we see it here. I mean, Peter just says it should follow immediately uh, if they are true believers. It's a free gift. The word is Doria. The Holy Spirit is the gift. That that is the gift. Another way might put it is, what are you waiting for? Right, right, exactly. Just going. Let's do it now. A lot of people want to wait back. Well, let's see if they're really believers and everything. But really, biblically, what I see here is if they are really, and they're showing that they're they're wanting to be real by the cost that's involved. 
And a lot of times people will have classes and everything, make sure what... Uh, I think you want to make sure if they're believers first, but if they're willing to be baptized and desire that, I, I think it probably should be done rather than waiting months and, and years down the road. That's what some uh, practice in, in churches because, well, we've seen so many cheap salvations. And I know what they're saying, but if the gospel's been preached and they have repented, then why would we wait, I guess would be the question. Um, children are far off. I like this. For the promise is for you, 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 uh, you Israelites, you Jews, and your children that are Jews that come forth, and for all who are far off. Who are, who are they? People that are the Gentiles everywhere. And I like this last little phrase. As many Jews, Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. All the ones who He will call, they will come to Him. As many as the Lord will call them. So there's another one of those sovereign side of salvations. But there's also the other sense that there's a response. So, um, you know that um, verse that we looked at in Matthew about um, Jesus or the Father saying to His Son, you know, go and do this. And He said, and He's, uh, said no, but then changed his mind and went later. Yeah. I can see too where in some of the baptism cases, you know, some of them may have resisted that at first. Exactly. And then changed their mind and did it later too. So that happens all the time. Yeah. Sure. Sure does. So that that, that comes in back with that parable again. Yeah. <laughs> that fits yeah. really good, doesn't it? It shows that you know God's working in the heart. Sometimes it takes people a while to right. examine this. And if that be the case, that's good. Yeah. Examine it. Some people have trouble with Lord's Supper. Well, examine it, test it out, look at it, see what it is, read about it, study it, and know for yourself. You know, all of those things I think are very important. Yeah. And so if somebody, you know, you don't want to make somebody do something they're not even aware of what it is and they haven't been convinced, I think that's a good point too. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, wow, we're right, right at the end. Um, I like this. And with many other words. See, his message yeah. wasn't done. <laughs> You could read this passage in about a couple minutes. Yeah. You could read this sermon and say, well, that's it. That was the message that he did. I think it probably went on for some time. Quite some time. People probably had questions and everything else. He solemnly testified. Many other words. Many other words he solemnly testified. Kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. He is really exhorting them, isn't he? You, you make sure you want to respond to this. You just don't want to have this intellectually, but now give yourselves to this. And uh, so he says, be saved from this perverse generation. It was wicked then, it's perverse then. We can say, well, it certainly couldn't have been as bad as we are now. But I don't know. Uh, they were pretty bad. They killed the Savior. What's worse? <laughs> we're bad too. Perverse, crooked generation. Be saved from it. That's what our thing is. After we tell them to repent and everything, here's the good news. And get a, you know, be saved from this generation. And here we go. Since, the, since So then, and here's the result of it. Those who had received His Word were baptized. The ones who received it took it in, re, repented, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And so here's where we go. We exalt the Savior. We humble the sinner. Right? 
and we promote holiness. And that's where all those things have to be. And we see that they then they start devoting themselves to apostles. They just didn't stop and go home and that was it. No, this is church. This is where God's people meet. And on a continual basis, not just, uh, oh, once a month, whenever I feel like it, here is what God intended. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And there you have the church as they, they fellowship. They get around God's Word. They learn about God. Wouldn't it be awful if there wasn't church and we just try to learn a little bit on our own? Wouldn't it be awful if we didn't have the Bible to study? We'd just be Christians and then that's it. We wouldn't know anything about God, the history, uh, the, what to do while we're Christians now, what's going to be happening in the future. Wouldn't that be awful? Oh, we're Christians. And then we just just hang out. No, we center around God's Word, don't we? Well, anyway, that's what we got this week. I think that was a message that was taken heed to, wasn't it? Very powerful. I thank you guys for coming out tonight and <laughs> kind of keeping things going. We'll, uh, we'll invite some other ones back next week and say, hey, we need you. We missed your fellowship. Uh, some couldn't come. Uh, so we want to remember them. Thanks. It's a blessing. Bob, could you close us in prayer? Thanks. Thank you, Father, for tonight, for this uh, Bible study, and uh, for your Bibles to be able to dig into and learn about you from the Lord. And not just to learn about you, but to draw closer to you because you've drawn us here like you've drawn all your people at various times uh, to yourself uh, to be loved by and to be taught by and to be uh, helped by. Uh, Lord, we just pray for uh, more of that help now by your Spirit. uh, uh, We're eager to show the light of Christ to others and to uh, help others to hear the Gospel, Lord. Soften hearts out there, Lord, that uh, your words might be put forth and that certain ones that you appointed, just like these divine appointments we talked about here in your word, Lord, certain ones that, that uh, have their divine appointments coming up, Lord, that, that, that would be their time and their ears would be open and their hearts would be softened to receive your word, Lord, and salvation would be manifest. And Lord, we also pray again for uh, those who are infirm and not feeling well and dealing with health issues, Lord, uh, uh, that, uh, Lord, your healing touch would be upon them and uh, that uh, they would recover and to your glory, Lord, they would praise you and, and be praising you in their suffering as well, Lord that they learn, are learning that uh, as they um, have to call on you, Lord, to uh, uh, to have uh, any kind of comfort, any kind of... Uh, uh, to know that, that you're steadfast in the storms that, that they're uh, going through. Uh, 
Father, just be with each one tonight and uh, help us to sleep well, uh, to uh, have a, a good rest for tomorrow, and uh, to remember you first thing in the morning, Lord, when we wake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.